Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have Sean Owen of Salt Lending. We're going to be talking about uh, lending in the cryptocurrency space. Sean, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I saw um, you guys' website and your initiative, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Can you uh, explain to listeners what you guys are going to be doing in the crypto space? Yeah, effectively, uh, there's a couple different areas of product and service that we offer. I'll just start at a high level and then walk through a couple of the initial products and kind of the general broad market we're in. So SALT uh, specifically stands for Secured Automated Lending Technology. That's the technology arm of our business, which is the majority of it. Uh, and the first product that we're advertising that you probably saw on our webpage is blockchain-backed loans. So basically at a high level, a blockchain-backed loan is a secured asset or an asset-backed uh, loan. And the collateral is something like Bitcoin, Ethereum, or ultimately we think will be anything blockchain-related, both native blockchain apps or assets uh, and or real-world assets like gold, stocks, deeds, certificates, you name it. Hmm. Uh, on top okay. of that, what we're really doing is introducing and creating a credit market that does not currently exist uh, with a platform that allows for borrowers lenders to interact uh, and and be on either side of the product, whether they're looking to borrow against their property or if they're looking for fixed in income or an investment opportunity in cash, whatever currency that might be in. On top of that, there's multiple other types and variations of credit products that ultimately we want to unveil uh, all the way from the kind of current, just adding more different types of blockchain assets into you know impacting the entire current credit market with using blockchain technology but you know to get back to your other question how did the idea get originated mm -hmm. the idea is really an itch that i have experienced and i think many people including everybody in our team has experienced that if you are an owner of a blockchain asset for example if you own bitcoin when this started it was just bitcoin now it's many, many others. But if you're holding onto that asset, you only have a couple options. You can buy more or you can sell it and or you can do some version of trading. So you're either holding long time as a speculator or you're trading or you're liquidating. You don't really have any other options. However, when it comes to tax treatment, you're, it's being recognized as property, capital gains, but you don't have all of the different possibilities of use that you would if you were dealing with other types of property that would fall in that same category, whether it be commodities, real estate, property, stocks. There's there's always the option to leverage against that, which doesn't currently exist. So it became kind of a no-brainer out of a, a need that was experienced by our team, but also pretty much everybody that we'd ran into in the the community of holders. And you know that's that became obvious to me personally pretty early on that people like to spend and use and trade uh, these cryptocurrencies or blockchain assets, but on average, people always hold them much more than they want to sell them. 
And that trend, I think, has proven to be true even today. Well, I've seen that some exchanges, you know, in China, they stopped it, but they had margin lending. You know, so you had 100 BTC and you could go on margin, borrow against it. I've also seen on Poloniex and now Bittrex, they allow you to lend your Bitcoin. There's a market for that and get, you know, 0.1% a day, 0.2%. So how is this going to be different from those things? Okay, so it's very different in a couple ways. Uh, it's entirely different on a whole. But when you're talking about um, margin accounts or or leveraging an exchange position, you there are some similarities. However, those are very specific. Those use cases are specific to users of an exchange, and the intended purpose has a specific purpose, which is to trade on mar- margin, typically to take one mm-hmm. side of a, a bet. And, uh, to, to leverage that with additional capital by borrowing it. Uh, what we're doing is very much non-purpose and is focused more on, uh, is more analogous to the real estate market where if you owned a home and had a mortgage on it and then had paid down that mortgage and now owned the asset outright, you do have the option to sell it to somebody else. Uh, but you could also just borrow against that for whatever needs you might have. Whether that's buying a different investment, whether that's buying a car, boat, uh, paying medical bills, you name it, doesn't really matter, which makes it non-purpose. So really to boil that down, the the specific differences is one, it has a purpose, one has a non-purpose. Okay. So I can, if I have, let's say, a hundred Bitcoin with you, I can borrow against it and use that money for anything, you know, to buy ice cream, to uh, buy more Bitcoin, to pay medical bills, whatever you want to do. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. What are, what are some of the limitations, you know, loan to value, I guess I can call it for lack of a better word. How much can you borrow against a given crypto? Um, what are going to be the terms, interest rates? You know, what are you guys thinking? So yeah, the, the variable terms, I'll walk you through each one of them. The loan to value is set based off of the, ultimately what the lender will accept. But the parameters we use are going off of some industry standards. Uh, we use an 80% loan to value as the, as the default. And the reason we use 80% loan to value is that we've found from back testing the historical data on the known assets, specifically the ones that we would lend against, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. But you can do this for gold or any other type of asset that we might speculate will be on our platform soon. Uh, that even with high volatility in periods of, you know, what would be called large drawbacks or, or, or precipitous drops, there's always enough to prevent against dipping into the collateral. Uh, so, for example, we have, you know, what we really specialize in with the loan to value is risk mitigation that puts in place options for the borrower that ultimately, if not followed, turn over to the lender. And those options are you can either pass and add on more collateral to the account to fix it if it's small volatility and you feel that it's just kind of a minor bump. Then, you know, if it's dropping now to 90% loan to value, we're going to ask you to cure that. With, a, with what essentially is a margin call and or you have the option to sell off a portion. And what that does is it always protects the lender on the next payment and, you know, infinitely, ultimately could get to the point of just reconciling the whole loan. One of the advantages of blockchain collateral is that you can be very incremental in the amount you sell off. So it'd be like selling a portion of your home if you needed to fix the loan to value requirements rather than selling the whole home. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the main variables. And depending on the asset, it's slightly different on our risk mitigation and what we have to do to identify the loan to value. 
and taking into consideration if a lender um, wants to maybe offer a lower rate of return for more collateral. Uh, there's there's a few different variables that all go into striking a deal between two parties. Uh, okay. But generally, generally we start with the premise that there's a certain amount of collateral needed to keep the position safe. The other terms I would talk about are the, are the time or duration of the loan. Currently, we have a no payment prepayment penalty for borrowers, which essentially lets them kind of choose when they want to pay it off if they need to get out, and right. or if they don't have that option, it's because there's been there's been other terms selected, and that those will all impact the interest rate and or variable terms. You know, the common ones we're seeing right now that we think are going to be very popular are anywhere from one year to five year. But our long-term goal is to have the ability to do very short durations on microloans and or very long-term uh, payments, more like if you were purchasing the asset for the first time and it was becoming more like a mortgage. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think of all kinds of uh, permutations as you talk. What happens if um, someone has, uh, you know, 100 Bitcoin, they take out a loan, they get 80 BTC worth, um, then they go buy more Bitcoin with that. Then they approach you and they say, oh, I want to loan against that and loan against that and loan against that. Are you going to? Yeah, that's that's a scenario that somebody could choose to do. Um, each one of those has to become a new loan or they add more collateral to an existing uh, line of credit. Those are both different products. Uh, in either regard, what essentially you're doing each time would be increasing the amount that you have borrowed and increasing the amount of protection you're putting up in collateral. So at a certain point, eventually the monthly payments, depending on how they're structured for principal and interest, will usually limit out a user because there's really no need to continue to increase the amount of obligation each month. Uh, eventually what happens if you do that infinitely is that you collapse portions of the loan and it kind of fixes itself. So there is the potential for people to do whatever they would like. However, as long as we are covering both parties, uh, we don't actually care because the the principle is the person on the investing side or the lending side is still going to make the same amount of returns either way. Right. Interesting. What are they going? What kind of requirements are you going to have for people to get loans? You know, how involved will it be? Will it be like applying for a mortgage, or you know, what's the underwriting process? Very different. So the model is a model that is very akin to and modeled to a large degree off of securities-backed lending, which is I have a portfolio of stock in equities and I want to borrow against it. This is something that happens all day long and was, is one of the larger uh, derivative markets that exist. Uh, and typically, it's for liquidity purposes through large institutions. Um, that That framework is very similar to ours in that we're focused on the assets and the relationship between the borrower and the lender, not so much the borrower and the lender. So we care a lot less, if not at all, on the creditworthiness to repay because we already have the primary source of repayment. Uh, on mm-hmm. top of that, all of the all of the traditional know your customer AML requirements, uh, truth in lending, et cetera, apply. And depending on which jurisdiction we're in, those state or country jurisdictional requirements also apply. So it's it's very much dependent on current framework. This is something that fits into a current uh, framework that exists in most portions of the world, and we stick to those best practices and or whatever we're required to. Oh, interesting. Um, what about the uh, the collateral itself? So if I have Bitcoin on, on an exchange, do I have to send it to 
your wallet? You know, is it a hot wallet? Yeah. Uh, how does it work to get my collateral so I can get a loan? So first of all, you create an account and become a member with us and go through all the process of making sure you're somebody we want to do business with. Then you apply for the loan and choose what you're looking to get in in regards to money. And then we're going to ask you to post the collateral into either a smart contract or effectively what some people know as a multi-signature contract or address. And that is going to look something like this. Uh, Three or four signatures required. One is a third-party escrow provider agent that makes sure everything goes the way it's supposed to. One is the initiation of the software from the wall provider, which is our software, but it's hosted with somebody else, so we're not in control. The loan terms are in control. One is the borrower, which is you, so you're still holding on to your funds, meaning that we're going to give you the option of what you want to do before we uh, would do anything with them. And one is on behalf of the lender or the lender directly. So there's uh, there's multiple parties needed. And what effectively happens is, based off of the loan terms, uh, criteria needs to be met. Parties are notified, and they either respond the way they should in the options they're given, or they don't. Either way, there's a way to re- reconcile those terms. Okay. <clears throat> um, how long do you think it'll take for someone to set up an account and <clears throat> do their first loan? And are there any thresholds that, uh, you know, where there's a lot more due diligence involved? You know, 10,000, 100,000 US, for instance, a million. Yeah. So the process of creating an account will be very fast, assuming that somebody puts all the required information in and just kind of has the priority of making an account quickly. The process of getting a loan will all depend on how fast they post the collateral and have linked their bank accounts and gone through the pre approval. So assuming that they create an account and now are at the point of asking for money, it should be very fast. Uh, the second question which pertains to is there additional due diligence needed for larger amounts? There are extra considerations we have to deal with when we're talking about larger amounts of money, and we roll those costs into tiers of membership. So, for example, if you just want to test the software, uh, maybe you don't need a large line of credit, uh, we will have you sign up for a basic membership and have some limitations where you couldn't do a loan over $10,000. those, all those terms could change in the future, but the premise is that there's an entry-level product that's very affordable uh, that rolls into a c- account some of the other costs that normally you would see. If you want to upgrade and have more sophisticated data, more additional optionality in your profile, and the ability to do larger size loans or access to more product, that'd be your mid-range uh, where we're going to require that you upgrade your account, then that takes care of those fees. If you want to go full enterprise, for example, if you are a large exchange or a liquidity provider or some type of business that needs constant access, uh, then that's kind of a custom setup where we will work directly for and with you to set up all the parameters and give you the customized approach, whether that's an API connection to your platform or a licensing agreement or just maybe an on-demand credit account for your specific business needs. So we kind of have an approach that allows anybody to get in quickly all the way up to customization. You said that you may start out at 10000 for a basic account limit. What's going to be the next level up? Or are there two more levels, uh, just one more? Yeah, roughly 100000 And then after that, it kind of becomes uncapped, or at least we have a personal rep work with you on your needs. Hmm. What about if I'm like a, an old school male and I mined, I don't know, 10000 Bitcoin back in the day and I'm a millionaire? by happy accident and I want to be a lender. What requirements do I have to be a lender for you guys? And 
you're looking for a lot of lenders. Okay, very good question and point of clarification. So currently, we are not in the business of allowing people to lend the assets. So if you had that much Bitcoin and you're a millionaire, you might not want to be a lender for it with us. We have entertained going down the road of allowing for lots of different options, which would include eventually lending assets. However, there's always the collateral needs of something to protect that. So that's a little bit different of a product than I previously described. However, let's say for your example, you have a ton of money. You're either uh, you're a private office or a hedge fund or maybe a family office or a large individual investor. This would be an option for you to invest your cash, your cash for fixed income and essentially have a high yield instrument that you've purchased that is paying you on a regular basis, which with protection that can be reconciled if anything goes wrong. So the default rate means a lot less. And if it is uh, paid off early, we can reinvest that into a like instrument and keep your investment working. So ultimately, it becomes like purchasing high yield bonds or becoming a lender. And there's a lot of businesses that this is similar to, like hard money lending uh, and or you know debt funds that are set up specifically for cash flow. So you essentially could use this as part of your portfolio to uh, invest money. Interesting. Okay. And that's probably only going to be accredited investors when it comes. But right now, you, I guess you're partnered with large institutions that will be doing the lending. Yep. And a, a good platform to look at that is, has a lot of similarities in the structure of who can invest or lend is Lending Club. So if you look at the Lending Club model, they have several different options, all of which require a certain type of suitability to be either an accredited investor or to go through a brokerage account or to invest directly in their fund as an investor or to take money uh, from ba- banks that are backing them. So the model kind of gives the, uh, the ability for people to invest at whatever level they can. It is mostly important to note the, dis- the distinct difference between models like Lending Club or Prosper, which are focused on analyzing credit and risk of individuals' ability to pay back, and ours, which is focused exclusively on prior form or first rights to liquidate for protection to re- of repayment. Uh, in, in how you okay. can invest, that's pretty much the overall uh, high level on it. Okay, so what, what's going to be your rollout? You know, now that you've enticed myself and listeners, uh, when will they be able to start uh, setting up accounts and borrowing? Currently, we are uh, on a waiting list. So anybody that signs up, which you did, I'd recommend everybody do. Uh, And as we can start servicing that, we'll knock down that list as quick as possible. We hope to have a minimum viable product that's accessible to the public at large in the fourth quarter of this year. So going into fall and winter. Uh, And if we are able to beat those benchmarks, it will be by allowing more people into the first version or private beta, which comes with a, a discounted rate. So we're allowing people to participate early uh, at a discounted rate in a format that's more like a software company typically does called Agile, where we would rather interact with people quickly uh, for less money uh, mm. and, and to get the feedback directly from them so we can learn exactly what products are more important to, and what features are more important. But ideally, we'll have a fully functional product by the end of this year that's successful. Where, where do you think the rates are going to be? Are you going to peg it to the LIBOR or you know some large market rates or you know what's your guess? As we are, yeah, I'll give you kind of the structure and then what my opinion is. The structure is we don't want to be a prime lender. We are a platform that connects the service and licenses it to lenders. 
Uh, we're not a competitor to lenders. We're, we're a feature. Uh, we're a product or a software service provider for those lenders. And thus, because of that, the lenders ultimately are the ones setting the rates, not us. What I do know and what I've seen a lot of is that the rates are going around 10 to 12 percent. There's a sliding scale between how much collateral is there. So, for example, a loan that's been paid down halfway that has much more collateral or what's happened in many of the scenarios is the, the collateral appreciates. You know, so most of our early test loans, the Bitcoin ended up being five times worth more now than it was when it was initiated. So they're extremely over collateralized. Uh, then that has a higher, that has a lower risk profile and thus can demand a lower interest rate. But ultimately it comes down to kind of the parameters set by the lender and what they'll agree to, uh, with the sliding scale of the over collateralization loan to value metric and the interest rate. So what are you seeing from the lenders that you talk to about this? Are they excited? Are they nervous? But excited? What's, what's the temperature of them? Both. We've had, uh, a lot of lenders who totally get it and are very excited and want to sign up all day long. And we've had other lenders that are still asking a lot of questions, mostly focused on uh, under, not understanding or lack of understanding the underlying asset, which in this case is blockchain assets. Um, and there's still a learning curve in general around what is Bitcoin, what is Ethereum, what is a blockchain, what are the advantages, what are the, you know, what do we need to watch out for? And ultimately, the reason why we exist is because most institutions have not gotten anywhere close to where they would be able to mitigate the risk, understand the collateral storage, the escrow, how to properly service these types of assets. And so they're not pursuing it, where we're basically creating an opportunity for them to indirectly invest and have somebody else helping answer all those questions. So we've seen people that are very interested because they completely get it. And we've seen people that are still kind of working with us to answer all those questions and get comfortable with it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating product. Um, just last, last couple of questions. When are you going to move into more traditional, uh, collateral back, back asset, uh, collateral back loans, uh, gold properties, like you said, et cetera, or is that way off? Uh, that is a great question. So the way that we approach that is whatever our borrowers are, there's two kind of equations to this. What are our borrowers asking for? What what type of collateral people are interested in leveraging? Two, is somebody already put that on a blockchain or is putting it on a blockchain where it fits our criteria? Uh, our, our belief is that we will end up having the ability to service all assets because we're of the opinion that uh, blockchain technology, when it comes to reporting transactions, everything from the immutability, which is another term for being able to mitigate counterfeit the efficiency of transaction, kind of the removal of some of the clearing houses, et cetera, uh, that it's going to become something that's just built into everything. And thus, we'll kind of be at the front of that and have all assets available. But currently, what our pipeline looks like is servicing the highest demands needed. Right now, all the buzz is still around Bitcoin and now Ethereum. And then as other products come online that have that type of attention, there's multiple projects working on putting uh, you know, stored gold that is in vaults currently onto the blockchain. I think that's probably, if I had to bet, the one that makes the most sense to onboard next. But ultimately, we're going to let the market determine what people want the most, what, where the most demand is. Are you guys going to issue a token to be used as gas in the system for loans, or are you staying away from that? Yeah, no, we actually have built the membership itself 
into a smart contract uh, on Ethereum. And we may migrate that into a project called Rootstock, which is taking advantage, mm. ultimately, if they're successful with uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, and who knows where that goes in the future. But a lot of what we're doing is focused on smart contracts because that's how we're achieving some of these architectures for the loans themselves and how to store and manage the risk around them. So we thought it made perfect sense for us to look at how many different ways we could build on top of that or take advantage of it. Uh, and the kind of the current one, there's a couple in the pipeline as well, smart contracts that we're working on that I can't really talk about now. Uh, the one that we did build already, though, is our membership. So our membership acts as a consumable uh, payment for the goods and services, very much how any type of subscription model would uh, for mm -hmm. if it was a gym membership, if it was a movie subscription membership, a book club, you name it. And the ability for us to interact with that on a contract, you know, which essentially is another word for a token or what people more commonly call token, there's a lot of benefits gained for that. One, people are very excited about it in the market. So it's helped incentivize the borrower class to be attracted to the project and want to sign up for early membership, along with some of the efficiencies in record keeping and interesting things you could do with building on top of some of these uh, contracts. So we're pretty excited about that. It was a decision that we made you know, about a year ago, and it's been under development. Currently, we're at the point now where we are interacting with that and allowing people to kind of pre-register in our beta form, which hopefully soon will be, I'd say in the next 30 days, something we publicly launch. Oh, wow. But there's not going to be an ICO of a SALT token or anything like that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to parse that apart because I am uh, personally a... I am not a fan of the term ICO, and I'll explain why, just because I have the opportunity to. I think if you look at the words, one is initial, the next one is coin, and the third is offering, it sounds very much like an IPO, which I think is wrong altogether for a lot of these projects. Uh, in a lot of circumstances, it's not initial. Uh, a lot of circumstances, I think a coin is the wrong name. Uh, and offering pretty much describes some type of an investment or offer. So it could maybe be applicable depending on the project. Um, I think a better term is quite frankly probably a crowd sale or initial discounted you know, product. There's a couple different ones. I think some of them probably should be called ICOs. Uh, I don't think ours should be. Although anytime you're dealing with a token or the technology of blockchain, that's kind of the latest rage in the craze. So it's absolutely going to book and feel and get a lot of questions uh, that are going to be pertaining to an ICO. And I've found it is near impossible currently to break people's habits of using that term. It just seems to be the term people are using. Right. So long-winded answer, but a little bit about my thoughts on that. No, that's great. I'm glad you, you spoke about it. It's important. There's very few people are speaking about it in that way. Everyone's just ICO crazy. So definitely yeah, appreciate it. I agree. Yeah, so you know, know the way that I would paint the picture on that note would be we are looking to onboard as many people early for a discount so we can get the mass the, the mass amount of marketing we can for the project, the maximum amount of people that recognize what we're doing and want to sign up and that would use us for a competitive advantage, uh, and the ability for us to discount that because we're basically asking people to pay attention to us before the product exists. Uh which ultimately I think is going to result in something that looks much more like a crowd sale. Okay. Very good. Uh, last question. How can people sign up 
um, for early access in the beta. Where can they go and you know what can they do? Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to start by going to www.saltlending.com. Uh, give us your email address. We won't spam you. Uh, that puts you on the list. And then we're just working through that list in sequential order to offer up whenever we can people to uh, join our beta environment. At that point in time, you can lock in a membership or not. It's completely up to the user. And I'd say the other places to find out more about us is we have a active Slack channel and we're about to be linking to a Telegram group. Uh, there's a couple other forums like Reddit. But really the most active way to get a hold of us right now is probably through one of the more known places like Facebook or Slack. And we're looking forward to chatting with everybody. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming. This is definitely going to be a, an interesting thing that's going on in the in the crypto world. So thanks so much for coming to the interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.